When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business. Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Building Better Businesses. My name is Steve Eschbach. I am the owner of Transworld Business Advisors of Naperville, Illinois. I am one of, uh, I think, seven Chicagoland Transworld Business Advisor offices here in the local area. Transworld is one is actually the largest business brokerage in the world, and we are the fastest growing as well. Uh, we cater to business owners looking to confidentially sell, so we assist them in that regard, matching them with qualified buyers. But we also do uh, franchise sales and franchise development, so if there's expansion opportunities in that regard, we can assist you there as well. And I'm delighted today to talk about one of my favorite subjects, which is branding. And today we have Denise Blasevic, who, uh, even though her last name is German like mine, she is a mixed European breed like I am as well. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But uh, Denise, thank you so much for joining us. And tell us a little bit about your current company. You're the CEO and founding partner of the S3 Agency. Tell us a little bit about where you are today and how you assist your clients. Great, Steve. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's really awesome to be here. So I started the S3 Agency 20 years ago in 2001, six months before 9-11. And it seems like in the past 20 years, our, our agency has weathered quite a few significant changes in our country, uh, difficult changes, but we've, we've done well. And, and what we do is we really specialize in helping brands differentiate themselves in a way that is authentic to them, and relevant to their target market, right? Being different is good, but if you're not authentic about it and relevant to your target market, then it really doesn't matter how different you are. Well, that's key, key to, to our discussion going forward. But let's kind of rewind the videotape a little bit. Before we started recording, you talked about the fact you were born in Europe. Is that correct? So tell me a little bit about your upbringing and how your parents and your family influence where you are today. Sure. Yes. I was born in Germany on a, a U.S. Air Force base, and my mother is from Austria. My father is American. So I was born into a multicultural household, and we moved here when I was very young. We keep a very, uh, I would say, German-Austrian sort of household. My, you know, We speak German at home. My mother, uh, all of her family is over there. So we have kind of our, our quadrant of it over here. And I think that was pretty significant for me um, 
I always felt a little different when I was a kid. I had a heavy German accent, even though um, English was my primary language. And when I went to school here uh, in kindergarten, I was made fun of for it. So I quickly understood how communication can impact you. And I immediately worked very hard to lose my accent. And right now, I don't think I don't think you can tell I'm from Jersey, but uh, I, I try to have kind of no accent. Um, so that that was a really big lesson for me, though. And and moving forward, um, my mother has always been an amazing human being. She is my best friend. She's super creative, and I never thought I was creative because she can do everything. Um, she can you know paint things, draw things, sew things, rewire the electricity, anything at all. And I'm not good at any of those things. I was always a good writer. I was a good academic, but I didn't think that I would be able to consider myself creative. I did always love commercials. I could probably sing you every jingle I ever heard. Uh, I, I loved uh, Bewitched and, uh, and Darren working at the ad agency, but I didn't see that as a path for me at all. I thought doctor, lawyer, ended up going to law school, hated that. Um, and I just you know, it suddenly dawned on me, I'm very good at creative problem solving. You don't have to be, a, you know, a fine artist to be creative. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I can tell you that I see no hint of a German accent. So you did a great <laughs> job of that. I was born and raised in New York City, and I think I've lost my Brooklyn accent. My father and mother were both from Brooklyn, and I think that's long gone, but some people still see that in me. And uh, I do my best, like you do, to practice not to have that. I but do have one important question. Yankees or Mets? Oh my goodness, it's the Mets. I suffer oh, immensely with I'm the sorry. Mets. Yeah. Yeah. But living here in Chicagoland, when I say I'm a Met fan, that brings back 1969. And uh, of course, that sure. leaves a sour taste to my fellow Chicago networking folks. But that's another story. By the way, if you want to sing some jingles for old commercials, that will be another podcast for us because I can probably share a lot of those with you. But <laughs> Great. Let, let's talk about your upbringing. You talked about your mother. She was able to instill some creativity in you. Uh, your father, what did your father do? So my father, actually, um, when he got out of the Air Force, uh, the, the military, the government put him through school and he got his master's in uh, math mathematics. Uh, very, very smart, analytical guy. He ended up working for um, the Bell Labs think tank back in the day. It was actually part of the whole ARPANET thing, beginning of the internet. I mean, I remember being a little kid and going to, uh, you know, kind of family day over there and they had touch screens. I mean, this is like decades and decades and decades before, you know, iPhone. That was a big deal when that came out, you know? Um, so that was really cool. And again, he's super analytic. That's, I mean, I am, I am analytic, but analytical, but not to the point that he is, right? So it's interesting to see when you look at my two parents who are both very extreme, my mother's very creative, my father's very analytical. I'm kind of a balance of the two is what it worked out to be. My SAT scores were exactly the same, verbal and math. <laughs> interesting. You know, it's funny you mentioned about your father and mother, mother being so totally opposite. Uh, my wife and I took a, a study called Social Style Awareness, and we were on opposite ends of the spectrum, and we're now married almost 40 years. So when they tell you that opposites attract, demonstrated by your parents that, and, and my, my situation as well, you can clearly see that that's the case. So you had an analytical father, a creative mother. What were you doing in terms of your academic career? Like when you were in grammar school, then you went to high school, how did that kind of instill in you to get you where you are today? My mother, I think being uh, the only person from her family in this country, it was very important to her. She was always very industrious and, you know, and she worked. Uh, it was very important to her that I was going to be able to stand on my own. 
like she had done. And she wanted to make sure that I'd be able to make my own money and not rely on other people to get me through so that I could make choices that I wanted versus choices that I had to make. And, and that was really interesting for me. So that really, not that it forced me, but it inspired me to do very well in school. I was definitely an excellent student. That is, you know, on my epitaph, that might be the thing. She was a great student um, because <laughs> I love learning and I, I really would dive into it. And, and, you know, getting anything less than a perfect grade, I didn't focus on the 99. It was the one. Why, why didn't I get that one thing right? Um, and, you know, maybe too much. But that really was what drove me. And I loved, I loved English. I loved math. I, I, I loved all my science, loved it all, except for shop. I had to take wood shop in junior high school. I had to make a corner shelf. And the truth is I got an A, but the teacher made it. So yeah. Well, funny you mentioned that. One of the best things I ever did in shop was to actually create a small little bookshelf. And I remember the teacher saying, Steve, you created the ideal, perfect four 90 degree angles. And to this day, I still have it. I don't have it anywhere other than in my storage place, but it was an accomplishment I made in, in wood shop. So there you go. So uh, getting back to a little bit on your formative years here. So I think, and again, I'm sensing this based on just a short amount of time we've chatted, that the analytical, the creativity, and then your interest to be diverse in terms of learning, that kind of got you sparked into being an entrepreneur. Is that right? Yeah, you know, it, it really did. Uh, you know, I started in the industry working for another agency, and it was a small agency, a woman-led agency. Um, and she was an excellent mentor. And I, I rose up through the ranks, and I became the EVP there. And we worked with great clients, big clients. And then I left there to start my own agency. But I had, I kind of had a, a feeling, not more than a feeling, I knew I'd be successful to begin with, because I already had a client lined up. The former head of a major luxury automotive company that I'd worked with asked me to be the VP of marketing for another luxury automotive company that he was going to be running. And uh, it, before I could even think of it, I just said, oh, I could never do that. I would die in the corporate world. I said, yeah. you'd fire me. <laughs> and he said, oh, well, maybe you should start an agency so we can work together because the other agency you know, had a competitive client. And, and that really was kind of the, the kickoff. Like I've been thinking about doing it, but that was, that was what made me really move. Sometimes that's the uh, the impulse that gets you to where you want to be. So that's uh, that's exciting. So tell me a little bit about, so we our program is Building Better Businesses and branding, as you and I both know, is critically important for you to differentiate yourself from the competition. If you had to sum it up in three key bullet points with your client, let's say it's a brand new business, just wanting to start out, what are the three key things that you're going to tell them that they have to focus on in terms of branding their business, branding their product, or whatever that might be? Number one, a brand is not your name or your logo. Number two, being differentiated is key, because if you're not differentiated, you're a commodity. But number three, being differentiated in a way that is authentic to you and relevant to your target market is the most important thing you can do for your brand to unleash the potential value of that brand. So going back to your first comment where you say your brand is not your name or your logo, I mean, many people are familiar with Coca-Cola and some of the others. They've been around for a while, but what do you mean by a brand is not your name or your logo? Is there any other comment you can give in that regard to help us understand that a little bit better? Absolutely. You know, a brand is is kind of this like generic term that we throw around, um, but really it, it comprises something enormous. It's it's the feeling, the emotional connection and experience that someone has with your product or service or company. 
And that is, there are two ways you can have a brand. You can have a brand by default, or you can have a brand by design. So if you're not actively curating what that experience, that emotional connection, that impression is, that relationship, then you have a brand by default and other people decide what it is for you. Whether it's the the people who use you or don't use you anymore, your competitors or the world, the way it changes or doesn't change, that's, you know, what you can control is you. And there's an important opportunity for brands to do that. And, and, you know, so many times we've had so many companies come to say, oh, you think we need a new logo? And yeah, sometimes logos are dated looking or whatever, but like the new logo isn't going to change your world. It should be reflective of who your brand is, not in, you know, learning from the logo. It doesn't go that way. It's the other way around. So you had mentioned that if you are not active in terms of determining or developing your brand, sometimes you get branded by default. Would you say that that is a common error or a common uh, mistake, not mistake, but a common area for improvement of the clients that you have, or is it something else with respect to branding? Oh, no, that is definitely, so it's, it's twofold. One, there are definitely clients that, especially smaller companies that oftentimes don't really figure out their brand and don't pay a lot of attention. They look at sales and marketing. They look, they don't really look at what the brand is that all of that is springing from. But many of them, you know, I think branding has become a much more overtly used term beyond the industry, you know, in the, in the last bunch of years, especially with influencers, personal branding, all of that out there. So people know the buzzword and they think they have it. Oh, well, we're all pink or we use, you know, Gothic sans or, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is that that's, and that's great. But what is that reflecting? Is it reflecting something truly differentiated that's authentic to you that you can live into that, you know, when people come to you and you say that they go, yes, that really is that. And is that relevant? Do people care? Does your target audience really care about that differentiation? So, and that, that's very hard for a company to do for itself. You know, you have to have kind of this, like, we have these brand elevation workshops that we work with brands on this. You have to bring it down to the unvarnished truth, right? You're not telling uh, yourself a story because if you tell yourself a story, you're never going to have the best brand out there. You have to really look at what's ugly, what's great, put it all together and be honest. The, the importance of honest branding these days cannot be overestimated. We're in a world where people want to cancel you if you're not honest. They want to uh, put holes in what you're saying. They will go online and find something out about you. You'll get a review. And if your brand really is authentically differentiated in a relevant manner, Yes, not everyone's going to be happy all of the time, but you build up equity. You build up that emotional equity with your audience. And that's what allows brands not only to survive, but to thrive because they really connect. And they, you know, the goal, right? The very rarely achieved goal of becoming a cult brand, hitting that cult brand status. Those brands know what they're doing. They know the power of branding. Absolutely. So we talked about your background, very diverse, analytical, creative. We talked about you being in a marketing firm and then you exited and started your own company. And it sounded like it was the automotive industry where you got your start. Are you focused, you and your team, and we'll talk about your team in a minute. Are you and your team focused on particular industries or are you open to any or is there any size level? What is basically your target market for the clients that you uh, you generate? Sure. So we tend to work with Fortune 500 and mid-sized clients. We do work with um, startups that are funded to really help them to, again, unleash the power within their brands so that they're launching in the way that will get the best investment for them. And so it's definitely companies where they understand the value of marketing. And for us, a lot of times, small companies, some small companies really get it. And we've worked brilliantly with some small companies 
But small companies who think they need marketing, but don't really believe in the value of it, you know, that's like, uh, you know, you, you can't just hold hands on it. You got to really go all full partnership and, and believe in it. But we do, we work with a variety of, um, we did start in luxury automotive, and then we quickly expanded from there to do a lot of CPG and other kinds of consumer uh, industries. We also do some B2B. We've done actually quite a bit of B2B. And most recently, we've launched a healthcare division um, after a bunch of years of bringing our consumer marketing chops to healthcare clients who said, wow, this really helps make a difference in uncovering insights and connecting with human beings. Um, and so that's the fastest growing part of our business. Yeah, there's some comments here that resonated with me, and I'm going to ask you to comment on this. So you talk about you do cater to some smaller clients who are funded mm-hmm. and you use the word investment. Now I've heard, and you have probably too, that you sometimes need to spend money to make money, but you characterize that a little differently. It's an investment in marketing. So if you could elaborate on that a little bit, I think that's an interesting concept that you made. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, sales and marketing go hand in hand and companies have very real goals. Sales, always a big part of the goals and marketing should be laddering up to supporting the sales, right? And there are a lot of ways that that happens. It's not that every dollar you spend in marketing results in $2 in your sales or $10 or whatever return ROAS, return on ad spend that you're looking for, right? You have to look at it from a bigger picture perspective. You have your kind of tier one, tier two, tier three. Tier one is your awareness image building. And there has to be a constant investment in that because especially in today's society, competitors crop up quicker than ever and our memories are shorter than ever. We're willing to try new things. The pandemic, more people tried more brands during the pandemic than at any time in our history. And we were open to it, partially because maybe our brands weren't available, partially because we just wanted something other than the same thing because we were sitting in the same four walls every day. And a lot of brands got some new customers out of that. So the tier one awareness building, the tier two sort of, you know, getting deeper into what this really means for you and the tier three kind of triggering the sale. You know, and, you know, people talk about the funnel. Of course, the funnel is important. All of that's important. But without looking at your marketing from those three tiers and figuring out what you need to do on each level, you're really kind of guessing and you're not pulling people in the way you need to and you're not leveraging what is special about your brand. You have to get it across at all those levels all the time. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit more about the S3 agency, you and your team. So where are you? Where is your expertise? Describe some of the other team members that you have that assist you in terms of developing what I would essentially believe is a collaborative effort on subject matter expertise, getting to the ultimate end result. So tell us a little bit about your your company there. Absolutely. Well, I started my business with my business partner, who's our chief creative officer, Adam Schnitzler. And we have worked together for 20 years here. And uh, for a few years before that, an interesting fact about us, we've never had a fight. So uh, we have had very, we are able to have very honest conversations with each other. I know that he's going to tell me something I'm not going to like when he says things like, I know you think that, but I'm like, oh, okay, I got to stop talking now and listen to what he says. Um, But we have a really great uh, business marriage. um, And I can't imagine doing this without him. I have some other, we've been in business 20 years. Some of the people have been here 15 years. Um, You know, we are always hiring new people too, but it's, there's a great loyalty and sense of community among our team. As you can imagine, digital is a big part of it <laughs> with the, the way the world is. And I think one of the things like that really differentiates us from other agencies, we have this brand elevation process. We believe you know, brands do need to be put on a pedestal. 
You can easily forget about a brand if you don't always put it front and center. What am I doing to feed the brand beast today? How am I constantly keeping it happy and healthy? So we have this brand elevation process. It is a very collaborative process. It's it's a curated um, creation of different tools and techniques that we bring our clients through. Um, we love to do it in person. We actually did our first in-person one uh, since the pandemic on Monday of this week. Since, you know, during the past 18 months, it's really been virtual, which is fine too, but in-person is there's nothing like it, uh, where we, we are able to get data. Every brand has data and it's not just numbers. You know, it's not just things that your computer has found. It's data in people's heads. You know, we can find out that maybe there are five different divisions of the company and the, the key stakeholders all think the company is something different, right? That's very important because the sales team is not selling one thing then. They're not being efficient in the way they're putting the brand out there. And the brand doesn't have a core differentiation that those divisions are part of, that they're making it you know, a much better place. So, um, so that's a really big thing that we do. And, and once we help a brand do that, and we've done that for brands like BMW Motorcycles, um, we've done it for, you know, brands like Turtleback Zoo, Centenary University. It's, it's really, it doesn't matter what kind of brand it is because it is true for every brand. It's, yeah. it's the foundation, foundational stuff that you need to figure out in order to, to maximize the value of your brand. So we really help brands figure that out. And then of course we help them amplify, uh, that messaging once we help them figure it out. Yeah. So I would probably summarize with what you said that when you're talking about data in terms of, uh, underlying your brand, there's also an element of impressions and interpretations, which you can't quantify numerically, I would guess. Is that correct? That's absolutely true. And many times when we have these workshops, you know, you'll see a CEO listening and hearing things that are surprising to them. And you'll hear people in different departments being surprised by each other and seeing opportunities for collaborative messaging and also things that don't ring true at all with what, what they felt. So, allowing for that honest conversation. Again, we always say it's unvarnished truth. If we're not honest with each other around here about what the brand could be and what does work and doesn't work, we won't be able to figure out that right, again, authentically differentiated, relevant position. Absolutely. So if your business partner is the chief creative officer, what is your title? Uh, I'm ideas. So <laughs> uh, and ideas about everything. He's funny because on my job description, it actually says 20 ideas. And that's like, they expect me to think of like 20 ideas a day. And I think he wishes it was only 20 ideas a day. <laughs> but his job is to figure out which of those ideas are the ones we should move forward with, whether it's for clients. And I'm not the only one thinking of ideas for clients here. Please don't mistake me. We have a talented team of people that impress me every day with their creativity and their problem solving and their approaches. It's amazing. They, they really, they keep me on my toes, but just thinking of, Hey, maybe we should try this as an agency or, or here's an opportunity for us, or oh, it's all ideas. And I, you know, go back to my childhood of, I didn't realize that creativity could be ideas versus things you do with your hands. And there's always innovation happening in and around us. So I clearly understand where this is and where it's going. Unfortunately, we're approaching the end of our time slot here, Denise. But uh, is there anything that uh, my questions haven't covered that uh, you want our audience to uh, hear from you? The one thing I would just say for everyone right now, the idea of digital discovery for your brand is the most important thing you can be thinking of. We are all, whether we're happy about it or not, we're all using our screens more than we did before the pandemic. And while there's a lot of screen fatigue, there's also a lot of opportunity and it's required for us to have our brands really have that discoverable path so that we will bring in those people that we want to learn about us. 
And for those that may not be aware, Big Brother is always watching, correct? And Big Sister. And Big Sister, you are correct. So Denise, I'm sorry to say we're going to have to end here, but last but not least, where can our audience go to find out more about you, your company, and anything else relevant and meaningful? about branding. The best place to go, thank you. The best place to go is uh, s3.agency. That is our URL. There's no .com. It's just s3.agency. Letter S like Sam, number agency. Steve, I am so grateful to have been on your show today. Thank you very, very much for giving me this opportunity. Your words are so kind. Thank you for sharing. And audience, thank you for your time. Well, Denise, thank you for your time and sharing your insights. Very valuable. I can never stop learning about branding. I'm a finance and accounting and communications expert, but a little bit shy on the branding side. I always look forward to ideas about branding and you've given us so much to think about. Thanks so much for your time. Audience, thank you for listening. Uh, you know, the Building Better Businesses podcast has a variety of topics. I encourage you to uh, listen in and uh, we're going to have Denise back again because I'm sure there'll be more stuff to learn about in due time. Thanks again, audience. And thanks again, Denise. Take care. Thank you. The Building Better Business podcast is the best place to learn how to take your business to the next level. It's no longer enough to earn good profits. You need to develop a network of connections as well as use all types of marketing to your advantage that will put you over the edge. Hosted by me, Steve Eschbach, a financial executive with decades of experience in dealing with businesses and business people, we'll learn how this all comes together. Join me and my expert guests as we delve into the many facets of owning the business and how to become a good, caring business owner. Listen how making a difference in your community can attract all sorts of clientele, which in turn will build you a better business.